0: We shared a history together, and it wasn't a very happy history 10 years ago. Through me dealing drugs and doing drugs and things, I had developed a very bad reputation. Art being a police officer, of course, was involved with catching guys like me. There was a couple of times he actually probably could have arrested me, and if he would have searched me, but he actually gave me a bunch of conversations, trying to talk to me, trying to tell me what I was doing was wrong. Art was actually the police officer that pulled over one of my best friends we had been watching um, a crack house, and we've been watching that crack house for about four hours, and we just couldn't get, we couldn't get anything on them. And I turned to the guy I was with, and I said, um, "You know, please don't think me out of line here, but would you pray with me?" And as we finished that prayer, we actually saw the uh, the drug dealer that was running that crack house, uh, pulled by our police car. Miraculously, he had a violation. For four hours, we'd been watching that crack house and didn't observe anything. But he comes by with a very clear and visible equipment violation to his car. And I pulled him over for that violation that he was aware of. And um, he had drugs in his pocket. And uh, Art actually didn't even start to him though. That was the thing, he did the same thing again. Went up through the window and started talking to him. And I saw he had a small infant in that car. And I talked to that man about his life and about his future. About what it means to be entrusted with the life of a child and raise that child. What I didn't know when I was talking to that man is that when I turned on my lights to pull him over, he ate a large amount of cocaine. So when I was done talking to him and I wrote him a ticket, um, I drove off. 20 minutes later, I came back with an ambulance and the paramedics to the house when the uh, emergency call came out there, and I thought they might have hurt the baby. But when I got there, the um, that man who had been leading that crack house staggered out the side door, fell to his knees, and died in front of me. And Brian was in that house. And Brian came forward to tell the police what had happened after I had left. And I started praying for those guys. I didn't know their names, but I started praying for Brian 10 years ago. And 10 years later, the Lord brought us together. And he's my best friend. And that's God.
1: My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there, sit down on my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he's promised to those who love him? you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, but if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. And if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act. Those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. dead. But someone will say, well, you have faith. I've got works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was a active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We've been in a series here in James, and he's writing to this group of Christians, young Christians, who have a reputation of ignoring justice, mercy, and love when it came to widows and orphans and and the lower social class and... Last week, we talked about how James was calling them to mer- mercy and warning them that they'd forgotten, wait a minute, there's, there's an end point coming here, a judgment, and, and to the degree that you show mercy, it'll be shown to you. And James wasn't done with making that point, and he brings up yet one more scenario, and we just read through it. This time, someone in their church family comes to them, they're desperate in need, don't have clothing, don't have food, and... And they just kind of send them on their way and kind of pat them on the head. Good luck. And James, James is going, what? What is that? Don't tell me you have faith. That's not faith. That's, that's bogus faith. How does that happen? Somebody comes into our circle of influence and, and we kind of go, oh, God bless you. Praying for you. Good luck. And don't do anything. It doesn't take a Christian to figure out that's bogus faith. The people in the world would take a look at that and go, what kind of faith is that? I don't want to be part of that church. That group of people. So he's leveling yet another scenario when he's coming at this and he's not, he's not letting up. And he goes on in verse 18, and he he writes this fictional character, which isn't really a fictional character, because somebody is saying, and, and they say, well, James, you've got works, I've got faith. As if to say, oh, we all have different giftings and strengths, and yours is works, that's so good, praise the Lord. Mine's faith. And James, James looks at that and goes, what? Show me your faith apart from works, and I'll show you my faith by my works they're coming to James, and they're just kind of saying, look, back off. It's a God thing. He's wired me this way. Wired you that way. Quit hating. Why are you all so angry? Just, just love. It's all good. And his point is, it's not even that you, you're wrong. It's like you don't have even faith. It's, it's illegitimate. It's not faith. And he goes on, he says, look, you believe God is one? Well, that's great. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Meaning, he's saying right there, he's like, look, we want to get honest here? The demons have better theology than you because their theology at least makes them shudder. Your theology makes you do nothing. What kind of theology is that? What kind of belief is that? He's fired up. He goes on and asks the question, you really want me to show you? You foolish person? I mean, you just don't say that. I mean, there's a passage that says don't, Jesus says, don't call someone a fool. Be very careful about that. Very, very, very careful. And, and he's saying, hey, look, you want me to show you, you fool? You don't know what's going on. I'll show you. I'll show you that faith apart from works is useless, doesn't work. It's broken, it's a play on words. And he goes on and he, he, he quotes or he brings up Abraham and he says, "What not? was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see That a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if you're new to following Christ and maybe not totally familiar with the Bible, you may not know that right now we have just entered a battlefield in Christianity where Christians have killed each other over how you interpret this passage. We're, I, I felt like I should probably wear like one of those pith helmets because if, if you have walked with Christ, you know what I'm talking about right now. And some of you are probably pulling out the popcorn going, I wonder what Sparky's gonna say about this one. Let's just sit back. Because you know what I'm talking about. This passage right here, it, it, people got killed over this. This is where the Protestant Reformation happened. Right around here, James, and over in Romans, and Catholics were killing Protestants, and Protestants were killing Catholics over this. So what are we going to do? Let's figure out the battle lines, how this all worked out, okay? So we're going to actually have to jump out of this passage and and really the theme that James is talking about to explain how to understand this. So these three verses are the biggies here for James chapter 2. We just read them. Faith by itself, if it did not have works, is dead. Abraham's faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. All right, let's read this together. You guys are going to do the faith and you're going to do the works. This is going to be a little exercise here. I'm going to do it again, all right? So you guys read aloud the faith and the works. So by itself, if it does not have its dead. Abraham's was active along with his and was completed by his. You see that a person is justified by and not by faith alone. Oh, sorry, and not by. Sorry about that took the joy away. Um, here we go now. Now James obviously wrote the book of James. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament. Romans, first and second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, first and second Timothy. I mean he's written a lot and there is more in there. Um, this is what Paul writes. You guys got faith and works, right? So therefore no one will be declared righteous or justified in God's sight by the of the law. Romans 3, 28, for we maintain that a man is justified by? Apart from works of the law. You guys starting to see the the fight? Okay, go on to the next one. And actually he says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 3. Galatians 3, 6 through 10 here is almost like verbatim of Romans chapter 4. He talks about Abraham a couple different times in in the New Testament. So here we go. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Paul goes through great lengths to say that Abraham was justified by faith not by works. And that's the battle lines. Paul is saying, no, 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 no. We are justified by faith apart from works. James is saying, oh, no, 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 our our faith is justified by works. And what do you do? And it's a mess, and it's been a mess for a lot of years. And to quote the famous movie Cool Hand Luke, what we have here is a failure to communicate. So what we're going to do is how do you, how do you resolve this? Well, you have to understand audiences. Because if you say the wrong thing or assume what an audience is thinking and that's not really what they're thinking, then you could totally get skewed on what you're supposed to say or how they're interpreting it or what the point of that was. We always are trying to understand who we're talking to and what their background is. You ever have those moments where you wish you knew the audience better? Like we've all learned there is a universal audience understanding that transcends all cultures and languages throughout time. And it's the audience of you never go up to someone, a woman, and say, are you pregnant? Right? Unless you know your audience, you would never say that. You always find out your audience. The audience of James and Paul are two entirely different audiences, okay? You have Paul's audience, uh, and, and Paul's audience, he's writing to Jewish. Christians right but he's writing to these people they came out of a highly legalistic background Judaizers is this famous word but they were all about the law and how great they were and their heritage and they were Pharisees and they were Sadducees and all these things they came out of that and and they were coming to Paul saying hey look and coming to God saying hey look at all the stuff we're bringing in look at all of our works isn't it awesome God really needs us look how much we can help God save ourselves and Paul's saying, here at this moment, and they're, they're coming up to this, let's just pretend there's a little imaginary line here, which could be, a, it's a reflection of a process of how we all come to Christ and conversion and faith, and they're coming up to this conversion faith, belief in Christ, faith and, thing, and, and saying, hey, we got a lot to bring to the equation. And Paul says, are you kidding me? It is faith without works. It is faith in Christ. His work on the cross, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's his statement over and over and over again in Romans. Chapter 1 all the way up to chapter 11 towards the end. It is all about making sure they got nothing to bring to the equation when it comes to us, salvation and faith. James's audience is over here somewhere. They've come to faith they believe in Christ. They got the whole redemption, Jesus, yes. And the problem is, and not only that they Jesus, but they, they, they understood James is like, look, we talked about this some time ago, right? You, you should know this, that when you, when you come to this point of Christ, it's not only just fire insurance. It's not about that. It is about his kingdom come, his will be done. You're all in. And he says, but they're living as if all Jesus is is just a moment where you say, I'm "In Jesus and I'm good. And literally, there is no transformation. There is no kingdom that has come in their life and they are living in the pattern of the world. Like, it never made a difference in their life what Christ did. We sing about freedom. We sing about mercy. And it's just, hasn't made a hill of beans. And he, he's saying, wait a minute, he goes all the way over here in, in verses 12 and 13 and says, look, there, there's a judgment coming. You guys are you guys aware of that judgment? It's coming here. And, and you're gonna be held accountable for what you do. Your f- faith needs to be worked out at the end here. Two different audiences using very s- the same words but they're entirely different contexts. And what it really boils down to is timing. Timing about before conversion and what you can bring into this salvation and justification, and then our life afterwards, James, and what our faith looks like when we're in the kingdom of God. So Paul uses these words, we saw some of them, James uses the same words, this word justification. We're just going to go through real quick. Paul defines justification, it's this, it is a legal term, and it literally means to be declared righteous, just as if I haven't sinned, is a, sometimes a famous way to understand it. And Paul is making sure that they understand, look, you have nothing to bring to the equation here for justification. It is Jesus' blood that washes you clean and declares you righteousness. His righteousness coming in us sets us apart. That's justification. Faith. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. That's faith. Luke wrote in Acts 16, somebody was asking him, hey, how, do I, how am I saved? And he said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus himself said in John 6, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. Justification, faith, works. You go over to James, and James talks about this idea of justification, which is a big word. It's not only just about this moment. Justification is all the way down here at the end when we're looking back over, and and our works justify our faith. They declare our faith to be that saving faith as as we look there, right, across the, the whole era of our life, the time period of our life. Was that faith back here Was that in Christ? Justification. Faith, same thing. His interpretation of faith is the same thing the way he's using it as Paul is using it. Belief in the saving work of Christ and all that that means when Christ comes in and takes control of our lives. Works, works is the same thing. He's not getting rid of faith. He's saying our works emerge from faith in jesus's blood that justifies us it's interesting because jesus says the same thing he teaches in matthew 25 it's this whole scene of uh, you know it's a whole story about how people uh, are, are really in need and you have all these different people he, he lists out and he says there's going to be some people that are never going to tell and never be aware and they won't give a rip, and they're going to say, oh, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I love Jesus, I'm all over this. They don't care about these people. And he says, but then there's going to be a group of people who, they, they give the cup of water, they give their clothes, they, they meet the needs. And Jesus says, they will be justified, they will enter into eternal life. Paul talks about this day where we will stand before God and account for every good or every deed we done, whether good or bad. You know, what's interesting is as Paul goes through and talks about works, just a thought that crossed my mind when you go back to that definition, it's interesting, he, he hammers justification by faith, but he starts to use a phrase he says, the obedience that comes from works. And what I think Paul was doing was he's actually trying to get away from that word, works, because they'd hijacked it. The audience that he was talking to hijacked it. And so when you said works, it had all kinds of meaning, like wrong meaning. And so he's saying, hey, no, 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 the obedience that comes from faith. Well, isn't that works? You look at the last four chapters of Romans or chapter 12 through 15, those four chapters, it is all about your faith should work out. Ephesians, first three chapters, is all about Jesus, Jesus, and it's all about Jesus and grace, and then the last three chapters are your faith better work this out. In fact, he says in Ephesians 2, he says, we're created for good works in Christ. Good works. He's not against this. And so hopefully uh, you understand perhaps the, the overarching theme that's going on and why that, this passage is so controversial, how it harmonizes with Paul. And what I want to do now is go back into our passage because James is, is trying to prove a point here about the importance in this phase of life before we meet Christ at that judgment seat, the importance of our faith working out. And so he uses a story, Abraham. And he says this, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So to prove his point, he he draws upon Abraham, father of Israel, the hero of their faith. Now, if you go back and study Abraham's story, it starts in Genesis 12. God comes up to, uh, to Abraham. And he's 75 years old at this point. Abraham doesn't ask for this. God just comes up and said, hey, man, I've chosen you. I really like you a lot. You're a great guy. I'm going to make a nation out of you and your family line. It's going to be this huge family. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to do it in a different land. So I need you to go there right now, and, and we'll get this thing going. He's 75 years old. So he picks up everything, pulls the tent stakes, as it were, and takes his family, well, his, his wife and and. I think, kind of extended family. He didn't have any children at that time, and, and they all go, the, his, his servants, and and they go over to this promised land, Canaan. Fast forward 25 years later, it's only three chapters, it's in chapter 15 of Genesis, and God comes up to Abraham again and says, Abraham, remember that promise? I'm gonna do that. I'm, I'm really excited about that. And Abraham goes, I'm 100. Like, And I I don't have a kid. What are we going to do about that? Kind of big deal here about whole family line thing. And God says, look up in the sky. And Abraham says, you see all stars? That is what I'm going to do. In Genesis chapter 15, 6 says this, Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. I want to stop there just for one second. You ever gone through infertility you know somebody that's ever gone through infertility you ever gone through a miscarriage hoping, excited and you lose your child in pregnancy you ever lose a child as a parent Abraham's a hundred years old my wife and I, we, we struggled with infertility for several years. And, and that was so painful. And we, we went through a miscarriage. And that was painful. I, can't, the pain, I just never knew, being a parent, the new pain and, and sorrows that would come. And, and God, for us, we're so grateful for what he did. He blessed us with children. But some of you have have never been on the other side of that. And you, you know what it's like to go decades and watch other people have children. I mean, we were, we were just in that for a few years and it was hard to see people have children. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 100 years old. And God comes and says, hey, you're gonna have all these, you're gonna have all these people in this nation and you're gonna have a kid. And... What would you say to him? When you're 100, because Paul wrote in Romans chapter 4, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And Sarah, too. And God comes to him and says, Hey, remember that promise? Aren't you excited about that promise I gave you that you're going to have this great nation that's going to come to your family line? What would you have said? Abraham believed the Lord, he believed the Lord. It didn't say Abraham said whatever. It didn't say Abraham got angry with God. It just said Abraham believed God. Yes, I believe you. I believe you. They end up having a son, and God comes to him and says, "I want you to give me your son. I want you to sacrifice your son." As many of us know, some of you may not know that story, and so God wants him to sacrifice his son. You're like, "What? Why are you uh, promise?" finally has a son you're going to take his son and abraham by faith went up and was about ready to sacrifice his son to offer his son as this worship offering to god and god provides this ram in the last minute and they kill the ram and save the son oh they all knew what james was talking about when he talked about faith with works that's a man who at some point believed in God and he's he's 25 30 years down the road and he's saying I still believe him I believe him I don't I don't care I don't know what to do with my pain I don't know what to do with my sorrow but I believe him you want my son God I, I believe you I'll, I'll, you can have my son He gets over here, and what happens? His faith is justified. That faith back here, where he said, I'm all in God, I'm all in on the kingdom, I'm moving, I'm going. That faith was justified by his works. Real faith. It showed, it proved. His works proved his faith was righteous and true. It wasn't some bogus faith. He goes on and he talks about, hey, wait a minute. Okay, we got Abraham. How about this? In the same way, verse 25, Rahab the prostitute justified, was not also Rahab, got to slow down here. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So he, he brings the hero of the faith and the nation. And then he brings this woman over here who's an outsider and a prostitute, and who everybody would say, well, I'm better than that. That's such a sad thing to say. I'm better than somebody else. And she's walking up, and she sees God, and, and there's this passage. She's a If you don't know the story, Isabel about ready to come in and conquer the land and and she's living in one of the cities and, and they're hearing stories about this God in Israel, this God who's helping this nation win every fight and just sweep across the land and she's hearing these stories from people who are coming to see her, obviously. And so she actually encounters two spies of Israel who are checking out her city, about ready to conquer it. She brings them in and this is what she says. He says, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on earth below. That's this faith, like, I know who this God is. Somehow in the middle of that, she comes to faith in God and she gets on the other side and it's, 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 not, it's just like months, weeks, days, she's on this other side and she sacrifices her safety to care for the spies. She sacrifices her safety by letting them down, giving them food and telling them where to go. She gives up her country. She gives up her city. She gives up everything, not just her way of life, which I'm sure she wanted to give up, but like her whole way of life. Her works justified her faith. Worked. It was a faith that worked under intense pressure. Let me ask you something. As you look at your life, and, and the context here, as you look at people who are in need, people that you are prejudiced against, people that you show partiality against, people that whatever is in you that goes, ah, no, ah, I don't want to, ah, And Christ comes along and says, I want you to love them. I want you to care for them. I don't want to hear the phrase that comes out of your lips and you don't mean it. I'm praying for you. I don't want to hear you say, God bless me, because you don't mean it. I want to see your faith work. Check out this clip of a girl who encountered this.
0: So I got a story from a woman named Andrea, uh, originally from Colorado, now a resident of Uganda. How she got there is a pretty uh, crazy miracle. She went there as a student for class credit to learn how to do microfinancing, And while she was there, she found an orphanage where the children were being abused and neglected really badly.
2: Over the course of those two months, um, witnessing the day-to-day life of the kids, The abuse they faced, I fell in love with them. You know, they became um, so much more than just, you know, needy kids that you would see on commercials or, you know, they became people and they're kids and they have personalities and smiles and beautiful faces. I knew that God had a bigger plan for them and that they shouldn't be trapped in the situation of neglect and abuse.
0: And her heart broke and she called her dad and said, I'm not coming home. Her dad said, you get on a plane right now. She said, no, if I don't do something, who will? So she stuck around, pestered the Ugandan government long enough until they shut down that orphanage. And then they handed 40 children to her care. Andrea didn't know what she was doing, but she did something. And now there's an orphanage in Iganga, Uganda called Musana that houses over 120 children. And Andrea is the head of this orphanage.
2: On September 16th, 2008, we actually got to move, the first 40 kids from that other orphanage. And I remember bringing the kids to Musana, and they lined up, and we said go, and they all ran to their name tags and jumped in their beds, and like had the biggest smiles on their faces. Not one of them had ever slept in a bed before. And that night, I remember going around and giving every single one of them like a kiss on the forehead, And a hug and saying, like, you're home now, you're safe, Um, I love you, God loves you, and it was the best, by far the best moment of my life and the moment where I knew that God had such big plans for these kids and that these kids were going to be the future leaders of Uganda and the future leaders of this world. Everybody is capable of making a difference, no matter where you are in your life, no matter what your job is, no matter what situation you're in. Every single person is capable of doing something and making the world a better place. In Uganda, they say that there's 2.5 million orphans. An orphan is defined by a child that's lost their father. So many of the kids at Musana actually do have mothers, but they don't have the resources, the skills, to be able to take care of them. And so we want to start a new project to empower mothers to take care of their children. So many people always say, like, oh, I feel so bad for those children. I feel so bad for these people in Uganda or in Africa. And honestly, like, I walk around the community of Viganga, and I admire the people so much. The joy, the spirit, the community, the love between them. And that's what it's all about.
1: You ever have those moments in your life where I can't walk away? I can't walk away. I remember uh, the first moment that happened to me. I, I was, grew up in San Diego, then Kansas. And, um, we're out in the country. I, I'd never really lived in a big city at that point. And I remember visiting New York. And uh, we were getting on the boat to the Statue of Liberty. And I will never forget this little kid. He was my age. He had to be first grade, second grader, all by himself, asleep on the pavement, on the other side of the fence, right along the wharf. Everybody could see him. You had to literally walk by him. And he was just asleep there. And I remember as a second grader or third grader going to my mom and going, Why is everybody walking by him? I, mean, I just. And Jesus comes along through James. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of us says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What kind of faith is that? We can't walk by. And we may not be able to rescue, rescue everyone or help every single person on this planet, but we can help those godsends on our way. We're the people who stop. We're the Christ followers, right? It's not on this world. Christ put the church in the world and said, you're the hope for the world because you're me. You're, you're me with, with my name and, and my kingdom in you, and you are the ones who Stop. You're the ones who feed, you're the ones who clothe. That's what it means to be a Christian, a Christ follower. Is you live this life and you're always stopped and you're always inconvenienced or you're always loving and showing mercy because you have faith in Christ who is standing here watching you going, Yes, do it. Yes, that's me. That's my love in you. And we don't make vows to be more loving because it's back here. We all, we all came to that point and never leaves this point of saying, I can't do it, Jesus. I got nothing to bring to the equation. You got to fill me with your mercy because I don't have that kind of mercy. You got to fill me with that love that's yours. You got to fill me with that righteousness because I don't have any of that in me. I know what I would do on my own. Invite the team to come up we got a couple songs here at the end. Just talk about this call of a faith that works.